Welcome to Enemies from War to Wisdom. Why do we need enemies? From intimate relationships to politics, tribalism, and community, we cannot seem to stop dehumanizing each other. Chronic conflicts in our families, societies, and nations seem inevitable. In this podcast, we analyze human hostilities from the most mundane to the most sophisticated. We apply psychology, psychoanalysis, art, spirituality, and relational theory in conversation about belonging and otherness. Each program will reach for a fresh wisdom that shows us how to step back from creating enemies in our lives. I'm your host, Eleanor Johnson, a videographer and artist with Emma Troop, an experimental theater group in New York City, and I am here with my co-host, Polly Young Eisendratt, who is a psychologist, Jungian analyst, author, and speaker. We approach our ideas each from our own worlds, but always from the spirit and teaching of Buddhism, of which we are lifelong practitioners. The title of today's podcast is Taking a Look at the Illusion of Reality, the work of Donald Hoffman. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the theory offered by contemporary cognitive scientist Donald Hoffman to explain why our natural desires and fears do not lead us to insights about reality. We will review some of Hoffman's model and approach, which are still very much a work in progress. We are taking up Hoffman's work on this podcast because we feel it offers an extraordinarily promising view of our human predicament in regard to our own self-protection and can help us sort out confusions about our survival fitness, which we define here, which I think is according to Donald Hoffman, experienced as our success in protecting ourselves and promoting ourselves. Along the way, we encounter the Buddhist view of reality, the marks of existence that can be succinctly summarized as, it's not perfect, it's not permanent, and it's not personal. We then take a leap and compare it to what Hoffman is developing. Notably, we talk about how our current space-time continuum cannot work in any of our contemporary scientific theories and must be changed. We also talk about how our personal experience of space-time is related to what psychologists call emotional objective constancy, a necessary human development that begins around 18 months with the birth of the self-conscious emotions. We hope this conversation opens up some new doors for thinking about why we currently embrace the notion that we, uh, we have to put on our own oxygen mask before we put on another's. So welcome, Polly. And today we have a very special guest, Polly's daughter, Amber Rickert, who's in from L.A. And Polly, would you like to introduce the audience to Amber? Yes, I would, Eleanor. Amber Rickert is my uh, very adult daughter, who is a clinical social worker. She also has a master's in public health, and she works as a therapist and also a director of outpatient mental health services in Los Angeles. And she's here with us today. This is during still the the COVID kind of lockdown period, but we have been cozily at home together uh, in Vermont. And she is here really just to sort of chime in and talk about how things look from her perspective. She's she's not an an expert on Donald Hoffman. So uh, welcome, Amber. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm happy to be here. (laughs) It's really great to have you with us. So I know this is a deep dive for everybody. Yes. And uh, (laughs) since we first planned to do this interview, we had planned to put this interview out as a podcast before I actually interviewed Donald Hoffman. And now I have interviewed him. And actually my three-part 
interview with him is available on my website at youngeisendrath.com and it's available as the first interview in the series of interviews that I'm doing that are called Pay Attention. And uh, these interviews are about truth in troubling times. And the reason I wanted to start with Donald Hoffman is that his work gives us a very, very big picture on how we really are going to have to change our minds uh, in this period of time when we are under so much duress and we feel so uncertain about what's coming next. We are going to have to change something in a very large way. And his work says we're going to have to change our paradigm for reality itself because our paradigm doesn't work anymore. Now, before you check the woo-woo box on this, <laughs> I, I want you to be very, very clear that Donald Hoffman is professor of cognitive science. He's professor of philosophy and computer science at the University of California at Irvine. He's written some more than 100 scientific articles and several books, and his most recent book is called The Case Against Reality, Why Evolution Hid the Truth from Our Eyes. So he is actually on the cutting edge of standard science. And he's working principally with a group of eight physicists. And those physicists have now written a book called Beyond Space Time. It's a book that is not written for, for ordinary readers. It's written for physicists. And if you want to have a look at the book, do. But listen to the podcast with me and Donald Hoffman. And then if you want to look more deeply look into his paper that's called Fact, Fiction, and Fitness, and it's about survival fitness, and that paper is online. So as we dive into this, I just want you to pay attention to the fact that this is not just a standard, well-respected scientist, but this is a scientist who's been at the leading edge of understanding perception, particularly Vis visual perception, and particularly in regard to advertising, of all things, because it is very important, visual perception in advertising. And so he is not on any woo-woo list at all. In fact, just the opposite. He is a well-respected and long-term accomplished uh, straight-line scientist. So as we dive into what it is we want to talk about. I want to start out with survival fitness because I think that leads to some spiritual insights as well as scientific insights that a lot of people would not be kind of bringing to the front of their mind on an ordinary basis, particularly during the COVID lockdown where everybody's worried about their own survival and whether they're going to be able to be you know, somehow protecting themselves against what they might regard as contagion or some sort of attack on their safety. So what Donald Hoffman has offered in this regard is something that I'm going to have to take a few minutes to break down, but I would like to hear from my colleagues, chime in at any point, ask questions. I, I know Hoffman's work pretty well, and I talked to him for three hours about it. 
But I want this to be conversational because the, the work is dense. It's difficult. I don't mean dense in the sense of like dense like a brick. But what I mean is that no, it's, it's packed it's, full it's of new insights. Complexity. Yeah, really complex. So, But I, I, think, I think starting to talk about, you know, protecting ourselves and promoting ourselves. Oftentimes you don't even combine those two things, protecting ourselves and promoting right. ourselves. Is, right. And this whole notion of survival fitness, I think, is a very... Um, very interesting to unpack. Well, you know, in in the in this podcast, we've talked a lot, of course, about the yes. Homo sapiens. Exactly. <laughs> you know, the Homo right, sapiens, right. and Homo sapiens are group animals. They are, they are very much tribal. They they like to be in small social groups. In those groups, they do these two things automatically and instinctually. They promote themselves and they protect themselves. And that is built in. It's part of the design. We come equipped with this sense that we are inside of the body and that this body is essentially our ego, that this is this body somehow is our individuality, is our sense of self, and that we need to promote it in the group so that we can get the goodies for ourselves and we need to protect it in the group so that we don't get overcome by others. So those two aspects are high right now because of the COVID thing. And people promote their own points of view really quickly. They protect themselves in the group. So we're going to then talk about how Donald Hoffman looks at survival fitness in relation to what he calls reality. So did you want to chime in? Well, I just wanted to ask a question about where the entry point for understanding some of this work might be if you're someone that doesn't necessarily question that your reality is subjective if you're just sort of living your life accepting that you know the information that you receive is correct or what you are perceiving is actually reality can you even interface with this material because it seems to me that you at least have to have some sort of fundamental understanding that the world around you that is being created is not necessarily all that it seems from your own perception. And I think that with COVID, there's so much fear, they're afraid. And so that makes you even less likely to be curious about this. Right, exactly. Curiosity is at a real low at the moment. It's like at a record low, curiosity. And curiosity is one of our primary emotions that really does allow us to contact reality. Right. So this is a really good question. It is a really good question because you do, through all of the podcasts we've been doing, define all of these things, you know, create the container for this, this, this deepening and this, this awareness that is often not heard. Well, you, you know, know, it's, it's just, hard to come it's by. Very, yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to come by. But let me just answer you in two ways. Have you seen The Matrix? The first Matrix? Yeah. Tell me what you remember of the scene about the spoon. Well, it's all about whether the perception of the spoon is the actual spoon. Like, whether or not you can move a spoon, bend a spoon, is the spoon the spoon? Right. And so that, that scene is illustrating that what you think is real, like, like this table is real, mm-hmm. that it's not real in the way you think it is. Right. But most people think of that as a really, really good movie. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, it was a good movie. 
movie. That first Matrix was a good movie. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. and that scene though it's illustrates that. Yeah. That more. scene illustrates, and if you if you have time to watch even the TED Talk, so Don Hoffman's TED Talk actually illustrates really clearly why there is no spoon, but then the interview with me pulls that out further. Right. And so you have to have some recognition. And I think people do have a little bit of recognition that when they were born and they were babies, they didn't see the world in the same way they see the world right now. So I think most people know, you know, in the beginning, I had a different feeling about the world. Things were different. Now that I'm adult, I think of it this way and that way. And this seems like everything's solid and nothing is magic and there's nothing outside of what I think is true, is true, etc. But of course, there was a period of time when all of us had a different reality. And um, then the bigger question, and this is where, well, there are two, there are two other answers to the, your question. One is if you know anything about quantum mechanics or subatomic physics, you know <laughs> every bear. Well, it's probably some not. Some people do. Some people read that stuff for fun. Believe me, I yeah, know there's some like people. like the one percent. read it for fun. But if okay, so there are some people who know that we are at a a crisis yes. in regard to physics. That we cannot put together our different theories of the physical world and make them actually whole. We cannot make that whole anymore. So that's another window into right. this stuff. And the third window is spiritual practice. Sure. Like if you've done spiritual practice, you know some of this. Go ahead, Eleanor. I wanted to share this as a, the filmmakers of The Matrix. And one of the things they were so deeply, deeply proud of was the last sentence spoken at the end of the film by the great lady. And that is, no one can see beyond a choice they don't understand. And I mean no one. Yeah. Yeah, no one can see beyond a choice. They don't understand. And in many ways, Polly, I feel that what you've been doing through the podcast and my being here with you has been trying to help people to understand more deeply the nature of life itself, you right, know, and, right. and to, to, you know, offer that and to go as, uh, you know, to just keep unpacking that and, and creating a whole new framework, a new lens to look at life. It, yeah, I mean, basically, of course, the podcast is about human hostility. Exactly. I mean, so the organizing theme is why do we protect ourselves? Right. Why do we fight wars? Right. Why do we get to polarization and conflict? not just conflict, but right. polarization again and again and again. It is right. not by our choice. Well, I heard That's that when you, we when you said, I was not thinking of you know uh, linking up, protecting ourselves and promoting ourselves in the way that you framed it. I, mm. I, I was not in that. I wasn't thinking that at all, but then it just falls right into this thing of enemies and out-projecting. You know. What's homo sapiens? Yes, you know, what I homo, mean, yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. homo sapiens were designed in a certain way and we produce then a certain world from that design. If we don't see the problems in that, we will just keep producing exactly. war again and again and again. We'll keep producing polarizations in our families again and again and again because it's part of the design. And that is connected to the fact that we're 99% unconscious. Exactly. And so then we're walking around automatically doing things to produce polarization, to protect ourselves and promote ourselves. And we're going through this particular dynamic over these eons of time. 
Well, until we become conscious of it. Until we become conscious of it. I think we are capable of of more, but we aren't... There's the argument that we're not using all of our brains, whatever, however you want to... That the, you know, cosmos is actually the human mind. There are a lot of arguments around what exactly human beings are here to do and be. I think that there's a lot more there that remains you know, unexplored. And that's part of what you're doing right now is to un- unpack it and unlock it. We have been in the known human history this way, but I would argue that we don't have to keep being this way and that it is in fact a choice, but that we need to be able to make, to have the understanding that it's a choice that we need to actually make. Well, as opposed to giving it to someone else to tell well, us. Well, the thing, the first thing that I would say, you know, has to happen, and this is again where the work of Donald Hoffman comes in, is that we need to understand the predicament that we're in, or we need to understand the situation that we're in, and we have the capacity to do that. And in many of the podcasts, we talk about, you know, how we do have this capacity to study ourselves. Mm-hmm. We are we are the only species here that can back up and study itself can change its action midstream, can ask the question, why did I do that? Can, can actually apologize. All of these things we can do, but we often don't use the skills that we have to understand reality. So before we get into Donald Hoffman's version of reality, I just want to go to the Buddhist version and say that when you practice a practice like Buddhism or you practice some other spiritual practice, that allows you to investigate your moment-to-moment reality. I don't mean here your ideas. I don't mean the concepts you've learned in language. And yet, you know, you will call on your language. You will call on your your concepts. But to truly investigate reality, you can see that the world that we're in, um, let's just, in Buddhism, we'd call this conventional reality, the world that we're in. Don Hoffman calls it space-time. That's perfectly okay to call it space-time or conventional reality. This reality is imperfect. You cannot perfect it. So you cannot be truly safe in this reality because there is no way to control it and keep safe. It's also impermanent. It's changing all of the time. Again, in the conventional reality, it's space-time also, impermanence is the nature of the reality and the third part is that it's impersonal in other words you are caught up in causes and conditions that you did not invent that you don't like that are not a part of your control now that's yeah part of what people have a problem hard time understanding well of course of course of course they take it personally they assume they've created their own lives they assume that they're in control of their lives they assume they deserve everything they got or they didn't deserve everything or that other people other people have done something to them so this this reality if you investigate it you'll see that it is imperfect and it's impermanent, and it's impersonal, and that's where you are. You are in that reality. Now, what do you do about that? Now, I mean, what we're suggesting in the podcast is that you investigate it, and you try to figure out how you can relate to it in a way that doesn't create more polarization, war, 
or let's say harm to a lot of harm to others or yourself. So is space time more or less equivalent to 3D? Um, no, can you no, make no, space time, comparisons? You know, uh, no, it's not exactly. Let me tell you what space time is, because to be to be, let's say, precise about it, it is the physics that has been understood and developed, especially since Einstein. So it includes all of quantum mechanics, and it includes everything that's been discovered about evolution so it includes all of darwin's work it includes all of einstein's work and then it includes the subatomic physicists people like john wheeler and others you know i was just recently talking to the buddhist teacher ellen wallace about john wheeler because wheeler understands something as a physicist that is connected to the uncertainty principle in physics which is that that we, we, homo sapiens, we are not stardust. And that is the story that gets told more, more often than not, is that we are stardust because we're made from the stars. We are the beings who have told the story of stardust. We are the beings that have invented the science of the space-time continuum. We are the beings that invented the story of evolution. That makes sense. We are not those things. Right. We actually are the storytellers of those things. So who are we? And in the in the Don Hoffman framework, we are what he calls conscious agents, mm-hmm. which we can get to. Mm-hmm. So a, 3D would be a part of space-time, separate from space-time, or space-time is a part of 3D? 3D is a part of space-time. Yeah, right? that's what I'm and, trying to get Yeah, at. right. And also 5D would be a part of space-time as long as we are in it. Mm-hmm. Because any, any dimensional time is going to be part of space-time as long as we are contained within it and perceiving ourselves from within it. Which at this point, that's probably as good as it's going to get. And could you say also from an ordinary person's point of view that we may be now stepping into the age where we'll break open the fictions? In other words, all of the fictions that we have thought Mm -hmm. are our reality and that we we believe and we've taken literally, et cetera, et cetera, are not real they're well they're not the they're not let's say let's say it like this that's big We're, our, our <laughs> biggest our biggest scientists our most capable scientists are saying we need a different story we cannot go with the story that we have of space-time so where does that take us that means there there was not a big bang that started everything it means that at this point our story is about the Big Bang that started everything. And that story has gotten us a lot of goodies. And that has brought us to this moment when we're talking, you know, we're recording this and it's going out to people all over the world. And there, there are no particular physical things in this environment that would say that we can, we can project that, you know, and, and we're not talking to them through something like mind-to-mind consciousness. We're doing it through machines. And those machines have been perfected through our technology and our sciences using the science that we've been developing and using that technology. That science is no longer adequate to answer the questions 
that that science asks. So that means we can't investigate, let's say, time and space through the methods that we've been using, which means we need a bigger story. Will that be the final story? No. No, because right. there's no final there's story no for humans. Story. Yeah, right, there's right, no final right. story. But it's going to take us to a whole other way of understanding ourselves. And that's where I kind of want to go into yeah, the Donald right. Hoffman. Because it's not, it's not, let's so say... So we're at an edge. We're at the edge. We're right? at an edge in our story. Mm-hmm. But we're going to still, as humans, we're going to be remaining in this in this, let's say, space-time, or Flat this, Earth. this, this, <laughs> yeah. this in this frontier reality. that we're yeah. entering into. It's like we're entering into a the new mind. story, but right. but remember that because we're in a human form, we are bounded by this form. So it's not as though we're going to turn so into a starfish, or we're going to turn. No, right now, <laughs> there's no way to get no, around that. You're, there's no way. Yeah, 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 no, it, it's like you're in a material existence. Right. However, you don't have to believe that your physical material existence is the absolute end of who you are. Mm-hmm. Nor do you have to govern your life by the fear that you're going to get a virus. I mean, when you try to turn this towards something that's very practical, where when you actually come into the view that Donald Hoffman is talking about, he is basically saying that if you think that your consciousness comes from your brain, it's a mistake from his point of view. Again, he's got a hypothesis, he has a theory, he has a science. He says, of course, I'll be wrong, because it is the nature of science to take a position and to debate another scientist. Right. As, as he says many times, science is not a search for truth. Science is a position that you argue against another scientist's position because human beings we don't, never have one solid We are eliminating that well, in, in the this, public in this sphere right now because any anything that counters the message about the virus has been pretty much eliminated it's the message about the virus in media right so again we're not who's not in tell- private conversation right, who's telling but, the story when media right. are tell when media is telling the story there is a particular message i don't want to go too no i know into this but, because- but basically like what you're saying about science science and what makes it robust interesting and i think effective is debate it is the ability to say i don't agree with you here's what i think and here are my here's my methodology and here's my data and you know evidence doesn't always have to be in a double blind study it can be through observation but we are we are not um allowing much of that in in a public way in a mainstream way right now so i think somehow that does tie in to the nature of reality though and like how we well let me how it's controlled let me read what donald hoffman says so this is from page 196 of his book the case against reality he says what science offers is not gold standard beliefs but a potent method for winnowing beliefs that derives its power from the way it engages with human nature we are a species that argues Experiments show and evolutionary theory explains that we reason best when we argue for an idea that we already believe or against the idea of another that we disbelieve. 
we did not evolve our ability to reason in order to, to pursue the truth. We evolved it as a tool of social persuasion. As a result, our reasoning is plagued with foibles, such as a bias towards information that supports what we already believe. The scientific method exploits all this. Each scientist argues for her idea and against contradictory ideas of other scientists. In this argumentative context, our reason is at its sharpest. Each new idea garners the best support of reason and evidence its proponents can muster, and each endures the best impalement by reason and evidence its detractors can counter. Science is not a theory of reality, but a method of inquiry. And so... It, well, that's where a lot of people are wrong. Well, that's where we're going wrong in this yeah. moment about this issue of protecting ourselves. We're not allowing the debate to happen. But again, I want to switch this over to Donald Hoffman's view of fitness survival so that we can get into a conversation about how do we come to see reality and what is reality and then into some of Don Hoffman's theory because when we get to his theory of conscious agents, you can begin to see spiritual practice, that particularly spiritual practice that looks at moment-to-moment -moment reality with that sense of curiosity. You can see it in a different light. So just to start out with, you know, what is, what is fitness survival? So what would you guys say about what you know about Darwin and a Darwinian point of view of fitness? What, what shows you in any species that there's been a survival fitness? Like, just think for a minute, you got it in, you know, not even in graduate school, you heard it in high school. Well, survival, yes. yeah, survival. Survival, fitness. and so, but so, who survive? I mean, how do species survive? Right. They By evolving they reproduce. They reproduce, <laughs> yes, right. and then little tiny, right. well, I mean, I guess this is where the arguments could come in, but... They're, they evolve towards being able to survive in whatever environment that they're in. Yeah. Um, and so a sign that they survived is that they've reproduced. Is that they are having babies. They're yeah. having babies and they've gone on being here on Earth. Right? right. So when we look at, say, the dung beetle, that has survived a long time. And we'd say it's well suited for survival, like the cockroach. And the, it's in its environment. It's environment. It's particular well, and environment. The cockroach sort of shares our environment, yeah. and the dung beetle yeah, they does say too. The cockroach will survive nuclear war. Right. right, and it has survived apparently from the dinosaurs. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, so what? It's, Crocodiles? That's another one. That I think birds. they do ants. Yeah. Also, I think the ants have survived through. So many insects have because they've gone under the earth. When well, also being small is a certain advantage. A certain advantage, certainly. It was and not being under the earth. Under yeah. the earth, and you know, being able and, to hide. Right. And so, actually, in order to survive over time, you have to reproduce. And you have to protect yourself. And you have to be in some kind of in, in relationship to your environment that allows you to do that. Right. To protect yourself yes. and, to, and to reproduce. Yeah. And yeah. then that's called fitness survival. And you can get into a lot of ways of applying this. You can apply fitness survival to ideas. Right. You know, ideas that have lasted a longer time and reproduced. You can apply astrology. to technology. You can astrology. Okay. All right. Or it's lasted a long time. Astrology has lasted a long yeah. time. Phrenology has not. Right. Yeah. Or when you think when the land stopped producing and people had no food, 
you know, and had no way of, I mean, starved to death. I mean, they couldn't, survival of the fitness was also dependent on the land being able to produce Well, food. it's always the environment yeah. that you're in. Yeah. And so, you know, again, Harari, uh, Harari says that, you know, one of the sort of, if you look from the point of view of survival fitness, what is one of the strongest organisms on earth is wheat. Yes. Wheat, mm -hmm. wheat reproduces yes. lots of places. Right. It doesn't need much to survive, right. etc. So survival corn, fitness yeah. really means that you adapt to your environment in a way that allows you to reproduce and allows you to continue over time. Now, what, what Don Hoffman does is he's taken this idea of survival fitness and he's tested it with something called evolutionary game theory, mm -hmm. which is entirely a computerized test, let's say. So evolutionary game theory, you, you've got a lot of the computer games that people get involved with, like the one that my grandson, well, he play, play, plays a lot. He plays Minecraft, but mm -hmm. there, there's something like Grand Theft Auto. There, I don't know these computer games because I don't play them. But, Destiny. Destiny. <clears throat> but they all really have this survival fitness meme or mode in it in other words you want your little thing or your avatar to survive under the circumstances so then there have been scientists that have studied through game theory how evolutionary theory works and it, it becomes a good way to study evolutionary theory and so it's it's a mathematical application of evolutionary theory so don hoffman has tested through game theory the relationship between truth and fitness, survival fitness. And what he has found, and he's found it in a very robust way, is that there is no relationship. In other words, the more you become fit for your survival within the game, the less you are aware of what the game is. And so consequently, mm -hmm. for example, you, you may have heard about the fact that in the chess-playing computers, the computers that play chess are so good now that they, they're so good that there's no way a human being can, can play them. They can play each other. But the very best computer uh, chess players are those computers that are designed simply to learn how to play better and better moves. They're no longer looking at the whole game. Right. Their algorithms are just combining all of the really good moves and then more and more of the good moves. And as that happens, they can no longer play the game of chess. So it's myopic. Yeah, it kind of it habituates. You can sort of see this mm -hmm. almost visually. You get habituated into getting stuff for yourself and protecting yourself and just making your niche, your survival niche work. And so when, the, when he uses evolutionary game theory to test this question, if you get better at survival, do you get smarter about the truth? And a lot of scientists would have said yes, because mm -hmm. that's where they thought Darwinian theory was going, that it is the smartest and the best species that survive. And what he found was there's no relationship between getting better at survival and knowing the truth. And the truth being here, what is the game? That's the truth. That's, you know, it's like, what, what are you doing? 
are you when you're playing this game what is the game so you lose track of what the game is i'm putting this now in anthropomorphic terms i mean he's looking sure. at a computer and a computer game you know it's like it's you can see right away well it's a good question for what we're in right now what is the game what is the game so look yeah. you can look at his at his paper which is online that is called fact fiction and fitness and he he demonstrates now as he says you know science is about argument so someone's going to argue against his findings but he has very robust findings that demonstrate that survival fitness is unrelated to the truth and so survival fitness then allows you to get better at let's call it the game of life but it, it also promotes you losing track of what the game is about so are humans capable of doing both things well from a well, let's switch well we can switch channels here to a spiritual channel i mean don hoffman does not switch the channel i so love a spiritual channel. <laughs> that's a different channel so so from a Buddhist point of view, and this is a conversation I had with Bill Waldron, who's professor of Buddhist studies at Middlebury, then I also had the same conversation with Alan Wallace, who's the president of the Institute for Contemplative, Contemplative Science, Science yeah, yeah. that's uh, just been founded in Crestone. So Alan Wallace and Bill Waldron helped me understand, and I would say I completely agree with this, survival fitness from a human perspective in a Buddhist framework, is greed, hatred, and ignorance. That's the way humans survive. Oh, that's very nihilistic. And so, well, it's just like, I know, I know. You know, those are the poisons. Those yeah, are those the are, mistakes. Those lead us away from the truth. Yes. Yes. Those, that's the harm. That's the wound. That's where we're led yes. away from the truth, is through greed, hatred, and ignorance. But those three poisons from Buddhism will tend to be, um, let's say, reinforced in times where you feel that your your individual survival is right. threatened. Or that you're right. Or that you're right. Ignorance, yeah. yeah. So ignorance is always ignorance of the same thing. It's ignorance of your complete and utter interdependence within the field or the dynamic in which you live. So you're trying to, you're ignorant of what they call the no-self, but it would be ignorant of your intercontextuality. There aren't good words for this interbeing, if you want to call it that. When you're ignorant of that, you protect what you regard as your body right. and your individuality. And you're trying to protect that against the environment. And that is ignorant because you're always a part of the environment. You cannot do that. So ignorance is the foundation. Or even now Four. in mass mind, in popular culture, the whole notion that we're interdependent is much more, there's more awareness around that. There's more awareness, but it tends to be like this. I am interdependent with you instead of I don't exist at all. Well, I'm in a dynamic true. setup in which I am step by step. always <laughs> emerging yeah, and always, you know, because people actually don't often, they can talk about interdependence right. they can talk well, about the beginning ecological yeah. and environmental yeah. things right. but they right. don't then realize they have to argue with somebody who thinks differently than they do because they're arising with those people and in order to improve their own wisdom they, they have, have to, to lay, hear the other side right and lay down the gun they have to hear, well they have to hear the other side 
So, so the, these three poisons mm -hmm. from Buddhism mm -hmm. of greed, so greed, one way of looking at greed, and I did talk to Alan Wallace about this, is that greed is a belief in the material world. Mm -hmm. Because anything that you regard as greed is when you're trying to gather material things. That which brings about separation so, too, yes. Well, greed is when you try to get the stuff for yourself. Right, right. right. And so the stuff might be, you try to get yourself, your stuff might be your vitamins, it might be your exercise, it might be, you know, your property, mm -hmm. your, your real estate. clothes, your mental state, anything your money, you, any, your money yeah. anything you're gathering for yourself to protect yourself, it means you believe in the material world. How do you move out of a belief in the material world? You have to, on some level, and this is where Don Hoffman comes in, you have to stop believing that that is reality. Thanks so much for listening. And to continue the conversation, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find past episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and CastBox. Enemies from War to Wisdom is recorded and produced by Chris Coltrane.